All right, Joe, uh, are you ready for sad sack technology transporter test number three? Yeah, I, I made some adjustments on the gimbal here that should assist with the, the buffer holding on to the lock. You know, Tuvok actually told us to quit using the word sad sacks to describe those guys. I mean, what a jerk. You know, I'm, I'm okay with hobo pope, but sad sack's just nice and concise. I think so, too. All right, uh, let's go and get this thing started and energize. All right, here we go. Got good energy flow. How's oh, the power on, whoa, whoa, whoa. looking? Well, I'm, I'm starting to see some uh, pattern degradation there. Hold on, I'm going to try and compensate. No, you're going too far, man. Look, I- I'm getting buffer over. Fl- I'm, pulling, I'm going to pull it back. Oh, oh, pull, oh, trying oh, to pull oh, it back. Oh, oh, oh. Ooh, that is not an apple anymore. Man, that's even worse than the last one. Is that, like, just a fleshy sack now? I don't... Do you think maybe we shouldn't be fucking with this transporter technology after all? Well, li- dude, dude, listen. I, between you and me, I think that it's a totally legitimate thing to explore and how to, you know, whisk someone across half a sector just by using our teleporter, you know, magic. You know, that did seem like a really big piece of technology for Janeway and Chakotay to just completely turn their back on. I think a couple more rotten apples and we might have this thing down. More effort than we put into saving all those, uh, you know, space cats that one time, that's for sure. You know damn well that the universe doesn't need more of those cats. But speaking of goofy technology, what about that uh, warp core max up last week? Yeah, it was crazy. Bolana had to, like, dump the whole thing. She had a real case of the Mondays. Yeah, well, I don't think it's just Bolana. That Borg lady, uh, I don't know how I feel about that one. Wait, wait a second. Are are you besmirching the name of Seven of Nine? She's such a true member of the family. What? You heard me. Seven of Nine. She's wonderful. Fantastic. A a great conversationalist. You're talking about the ex-Borg who tried to kill us all? How dare you! She is a precious, wonderful snowflake made of sunshine and rainbows. Is an independent woman that don't need no man. How dare you make such assumptions about about her? And I am 100% convinced that the more I defend her, the, the more there is certitude that someday she will fuck me. Uh, what? <laughs> Dude, she just kicked Kim's ass up in Jeffrey's Tube 3. You think she is going to go anywhere? What's on your head? What do you mean? That hat. That's not what, what uniform appropriate. Is that a trilby? Listen, it's it's not about my my hat. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Joe, Joe, stop. I think the buffer is overflowing again. Where's all this vapor coming? Wait, this isn't console smoke. Are you vaping? Hey, listen. No, hey, this is... The, it, uh, you should try it. It's, the flavors are great. It's really just, you know, it's really just a great way to spend your break. And, and listen, I have a problem. I have a problem. I don't think there's a 24th century cure for being a neckbeard. Well, you could always take a trip up to see the doctor, and I'm sure he could just old yeller put you down and bring you right back, right as rain. Welcome to VG, please. Hateful Voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm Peter. And Peter, what episode of Star Trek Voyager graced our screens this week? Man, we're getting right into it, huh? Uh, Season 4, Episode 5, Revulsion. So, time had, I guess, worn the memory out for me of just how fucking sloppy this thing was. I retain my statement to you last week that this had some really cool shit in it when it comes to a topic I knew you'd like, which was, uh, you know, holograms rogue and AI. AI, rogue AI shit. Like, that was all there. But, uh, Lord have mercy, was this just, like, one of the most poorly assembled episodes of television I think I've ever seen? Um, I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, maybe it's just the fact we came in hot on the tail of whatever that last boring mess was. Uh, hey! Hey, you I, know, li- I, I like Nemesis. Oh, I was thinking a day on or I completely forgot about Nemesis. No, Nemesis, <laughs> I'm still, man, I'm 50-50. I'm like, part of me is like, there was something cool here. And the other part of me was like, I wasn't in the mood for 
network television Rambo, but uh, that's behind us. In front of us is uh, is this, and we start off with what is a pretty cool-looking new ship, and that is something that I've criticized Voyager about in the past, is that they are super stingy when it comes to showing us new stuff, going so far as to redress old Romulan scout ships. So um, I like the way this ship looks. If, it's, if we start with an exterior frame, it's got like this Ford cockpit. It's uh, kind of remind me of like uh, the World War II bombers, that big glass nose cone where the navigator would sit. Yeah, like a B-17 or B-25 like or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I will point out that it reminded me of the Ferengi Marauder a little bit. Actually, I kind of like Defiant because it's got those big like boxy things on the side. I, it's different. Whatever it is, it's different. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we're not dealing with some some box in space. But what we are dealing with, though, are aliens that look like fucking humans again. Listen, I understand that they put a lot of money probably in time into making the nemesis dudes, those uh, predator mouth, whatever the hell they were. So yeah, discount predators, of course. I'll cut them a little bit of a break here. This episode's greatest sin to me is this first scene. Because consider this. So this first scene is obviously setting up that murder that's happened. Uh, there's this this body that's lived a bloody streak. And this guy's just kind of like moving the body around and then cleaning up after it. And From the jump, he looks like kind of a twitchy serial killer type. It blows the mystery entirely. The, they tell you up front in the teaser. Hey. This weird sketchy guy who's moving bodies around right after they get murdered. He's probably a murderer. <laughs> just just want you to know. It's a jarring image, too, because uh, that first scene inside the ship, the guy's sitting there leaning up against some boxes like with this stunned look on his face and he's not moving. And yeah, as he starts getting pulled, there is heavy blood smearing behind this. And it looks pretty realistic. Like every time the body stops moving, more blood comes down and they, they pull the body and it smears it. And this is red blood. We're not talking about like green or pink blood. So again, I'm always curious where, where's the needle on these, uh, on these television sensors and standards and practices. Maybe it was different because it was, you know, UPN wasn't cable, right? UPN was regular broadcast. Yeah. UPN was a network television, uh, uh, network it was it was a major network over the air yeah but uh switching over to this as i believe you put a twitchy guy i think the right word to use for this character and really any character that this uh actor plays i think his name's what leland orson yeah leland orson i think is neurotic and what we notice about him is he's basically done up in the exact same makeup that they used for data which I think looks silver, but everybody always describes it as a gold. Yeah, it's basically uh, the data makeup in a slightly different hue. It's meant, of course, to make him look more artificial and have him stand out against, uh, you know, quote unquote flesh. Uh, And uh, he's moving this body around, cleaning up after it and says that he is a holographic projection. He calls himself an isomorphic projection is his term and asks for assistance. Uh, because his crew is dead and he is malfunctioning. And that's the end of the teaser. I just can't couldn't help for the rest of the episode to think of what how much better this episode would have been if they had been more subtle with building up to the revelation that, you know, this weird twitchy guy is perhaps murdering people that he's seen moving, you know, clearly having just murdered during the teaser of the episode. Yeah, I'd argue with you and say that, you know, maybe they're trying to set the sense of dread that people are going into a dangerous situation. But no, you're completely right. And I think that was a a big misstep in this episode was, you know, as if it's not bad enough that Netflix is already in there spoiling the secret of what's going to happen, because that was going to be my big argument about this. Like, oh, God, I you know, there was no suspense. But yeah, like you said, but even before we get title credits, here's this dude. And he's a hologram and he's killing people. The episode begins proper back on Voyager during a uh, incredibly awkward work dinner, which, hey, listen, I've been through this. You know, you have to, like, find that right level of what kind of things you can talk about and what kind of stories you can tell because you can't get you can't get too real because 
that's when keeping it real goes wrong. But at the same time, you know, you've got to make small talk. And so they're having this conversation about how they totally pranked Tuvok one time by apparently mocking his culture to his face all day. Yeah. So (laughs) not to turn this into woke Trek, but basically what they're sitting there is saying, like, it'd be if this was the the Enterprise. Right. And uh, I don't know. Wesley and Riker are sitting there laughing about how they reprogrammed everything for Jordy. So every time he touched a button on a pad, uh, it began with I have a dream. Like that, that's the kind of like, it seemed pretty fucking racist to me. Um, or a Jewish coworker, Shabbat Shalom or something like, yeah, bro, that's like actually a serious thing in their culture. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Uh, so what you're looking at is the mess hall and everybody's in there and it's Janeway on one end of the table and Tuvok on the other. And these dudes are just roasting Tuvok. I'm like, okay, maybe this is his birthday or something, but no, it's totally a promotion. Uh, Janeway gives him a pretty good, uh, you know, intro about how she's been there as his right hand and and all this and that, and gives him the promotion to lieutenant commander. Which, even before we get into why did it take this long, I don't know, man. Do you think what's the right way when you're in a closed ecosystem like this doing field promotions? Do you keep things formal for the big events like? very rare opportunities for promotions or do you do this small family style thing? I think certainly two box preference would have been something stuffy and formal befitting normal Starfleet protocols. But will that fly when you're stranded that far away from home? So there's actually canon information out there about Starfleet's uh, methodology when it comes to uh, promotions and billets on starships to guide this discussion. So speaking of neckbeards from our, from our intro, mine will spread out for a moment and I will tell you. So on any ship in Starfleet, there are certain billets for particular jobs, particularly in the senior staff that come with a uh, certain rank level of responsibility. And on top of that, there's certain limitations based on the size of the vessel and the size of the departments of how many of a certain kind of officer that there should be and what kind of the rank limit is for a certain kind of job. For example, on a galaxy class starship, uh, you know, you have your captain and then you have your commander who's the first officer. And then you have lieutenant commanders that are able to be essentially section chiefs. Uh, throughout the ship that could be your ops officer that could be your tactical officer that could be your head engineer because the ship is large and it has a really large crew so they're going to have you know full lieutenants and lieutenant junior grades and ensigns that all work under them because they have all these teams and all the staff that they need to be able to manage on a smaller ship like an intrepid class ship there's less of that because there's a only a fraction of that amount of personnel. So you have your captain, you have your first officer for an intrepid class ship. That could be a commander or a lieutenant commander. Does not have to be a full commander. And then for the, the only other commander rank person that should be assigned to the vessel is the second in command. Now that could be, technically speaking, the ops chief or the, uh, the tactical officer depending on you know, how you have your personnel arranged. Obviously, in this case, it's the tactical officer. Uh, But, uh, you know, for example, in a different situation where the tactical officer is the ensign and the ops chief is is the more senior personnel, that could be your second officer instead. But no one else is supposed to get promoted to that level because there's only 140 people. So you don't have that many officers and that many crewmen to manage. You should should cut that all out of the podcast and then... (laughs) trick people who are patreon subscribers <laughs> so they think they're gonna get like a really funny cool or a really dirty story and it's you just going on about fucking starship right <laughs> i'm gonna watch him cancel the patreon subscription like all right it's all god all the money's I was, god like, i was told I was, I was gonna be getting janeway twin sex instead i'm <laughs> learning about fucking billets and lieutenant commanders instead of commanders uh <laughs> No, that's really interesting, Joe. I'm I'm very glad you brought that up for 15 minutes. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm 
imagine how long that information i ripped all that off from memory dude how long how much of that's my life gross. is that's knowing all get that. the fuck out of here i know all of it i didn't have to look that shit up i didn't know we were necessarily gonna talk oh. about that i just fucking know that shit dude oh how sad is my life almost as sad as your admiration for that nemesis speak anyways <laughs> Uh, we will face we will face the nemesis in the trees. Yeah, fathom. So, that's why I didn't come to Cincinnati. Was that right there? He gets up after Janeway's little speech about how much she loves him, and he's uh, lays out this line: "As tactical officer, I shall continue to strive to do my best to assure the safe passage of this ship, uh, as I always have." And I'm like, uh, "Okay, dude, starting when? Because everything I've seen over the past three years is you pretty much asleep at the job with." Everybody from Seska to Ferengi to Sad Sacks and all the rest of the fucking little rascals running hot game all over you. I, I'm glad you brought up Seska. It's like, I will do my best, except if some random Cardassian shows up, in which case hot game will be run over everyone. Unless anybody really tries hard and then I'm just going to fold like a house of cards and let them get away with murder. Sometimes literally. It's an OK scene. But what I really like is as his promotion wraps up. They get a pretty cool continuous long shot that starts with, uh, I think, Balana and Tom going out in the hallway and, and revisiting their feelings. They kind of pick up where Day of Honor left off, uh, citing that the events of Day of Honor, them being stranded out in space, was like three days ago, which I think in the season's continuity puts it like one month since uh, Seven of Nine's appearance on the ship, which is some pretty back to back shit here because that also. Man, I'm going down too deep of a nurture. Anyways, this predates uh, Nemesis, then, I believe. So this is one of those real dangerous work months with a lot of bad stuff happening in rapid succession. To to lay out the timeline, in this pay period, just this first part, they had to dump the warp core and have all of that nonsense with the, the space hobos three days ago. And then after that, the, the, there was three days of Chakotay on uh, 90s TV Rambo. Uh, slash predator being and then this is reprogrammed this is, for yet another terrorist organization and then this is the next day after that so they've moved on they've warped away and the next day they're like okay well good job uh talking tuvok into not murdering everybody uh do, good job tuvok into uh not mur- having chakotay murder everyone let's give you that promotion that you've deserved yeah uh but yeah this the shout out you know they, they go out in the hall it's tom and balana who I'm still not feeling it. Uh, they throw a kiss in there. There's there's a little bit of play of Tom like, hey, you know, we haven't talked. Uh, you probably, you know, were just oxygen deprived and didn't know what you were saying. And Bolana's like, no, actually, I do know what I said and I mean it. And I understand if you don't want to acknowledge it. And he just cuts her off with a hot and tawdry kiss right out there in the hallway, which uh, the doctor kind of butts his way into. And tells uh, Paris that in the absence of Kess, Paris is now going to be resuming his role as ship's nurse. This is a a bit of like season one flashback in that uh, apparently as part of Tom Paris's Starfleet career, uh, he is the only person on the ship that has like level three medical training, which is, uh, I guess, EMT would be probably be the right thing to call him, like maybe like a paramedic. And so after now the Kess is gone, he is the next most qualified medical professional on the ship. And uh, 40 some people, including a bunch of guerrilla fighters that they picked up and nobody knows how to run a medical tricorder better than the helmsman. I kind of like it as a, quirk of his personality i wish they would do more with it than he just like just so happened to be trained like like maybe he had like aspirations or maybe wanted to you know thought about a career in medicine oh come on you're asking too just much. <laughs> doesn't fit his bad boy personality slash lifestyle it didn't want to dedicate the time but he had like talent and interest in it you know or, what i could have gone some for kind of depth but instead it's just this thing hey you know like, i really uh, i've been in jail enough times i know how to uh clot up a wound before it has a chance to bleed out from a brutal <laughs> I, shanking and that uh, looks like a sharpened pen if i've ever seen one <laughs> you know i've uh i've turned a kid at enough 
nod off arms and whatever else happens in space jail that it's good enough. And yeah, sure. I'll play the paramedic role. And I think somewhere else in this little back and forth scene of hallway to mess hall, we get uh, two um, Chakotay cornering Harry Kim saying that he wants to. What what was the project that Harry Kim's supposed to be working on with? Uh, oh, Astromexics Lab. So, yeah, oh, right. Yeah. Harry gets assigned to work with Seven of Nine to create a uh, an upgraded Astrometrics suite and create a new lab, which will eventually become a new set. Actually, it becomes quite prominent on the show. And, you know, he's not super thrilled at the idea of working with Seven of Nine, considering he was, you know, concussed. Knock the fuck out. <laughs> Last time he had to do so. Uh, this is actually kind of clever. It's all kind of a, a one shot that they do from yeah. the hallway. And it's kind of yeah. neat. It's the first and, time I think we've seen something like that. And I think it really worked well. And I also want to give uh, some some real credit in this episode to the sheer volume of callbacks that we are going to see to the earlier seasons. And again, what a 180 Voyager has done at this point from being a show that refused to acknowledge even the episode before to now you're getting some real deep in callbacks. And it's, uh, I think, Kenneth Biller, who's normally a script writer who's directing this. And he touches on a lot of his previous work in this one. Yeah, he likes to do self-referential stuff. I was looking at like his other writing credits you know, like I, I think there's a direct uh, mention of what was it? The episode where Neelix says the ambassador for macroism. Yes, that's yeah. it. Yeah. And that so, was forever ago. That was season was that three or two. That'd be three. That was three. That was early three, though. So uh, and that's going to be a trend that continues through this entire episode. And I'm very happy to see it. I'm glad Voyager finally got to this point where it's going to start playing in its own universe and touching on these things. The scene wraps with the call down to the uh, mess hall that the captain needs to come up with the doctor because they have received the transmission from the obviously murderous murder, uh, holographic murder man uh, calling for help. So who's this jerk off on the bridge? That's like, Hey, uh, captain of the bridge, we've got something very important. And also uh, the doctor, why don't you come up along here, too, because I'm going to make that decision to involve you in like top level ship operational stuff. He did just basically he did say you might want to bring the doctor. Oh, he I didn't thought say he... bring the doctor. He said he said he, he, he suggested it did not demand it. Mm-hmm. Overstepping his bounds. Demotion. Minus 50 DKP. <laughs> many whelps handle it Uh, (laughs) so i think somewhere in this scene there is some sort of a setup and i think it's in reference when janeway's talking to neelix about what is going to be a big trade deal that they're excited about even though it's like two throwaway lines and i think it's basically setting a stage where we're not going to move the ship to check out this distress signal so we are going to treat a holographic distress call with the same severity that we treat a dilemma like, oh, I don't know. We lost our warp core and we are going to dispatch (laughs) all of one shuttlecraft with the chief engineer and our only doctor, which. Baffling. So they have the only information they have is that there's a ship in distress. It's bad enough that the entire crew of that ship is dead. They don't know who these people are, and they're not going to be close by with their vessel. And their response to that is, oh, that's fine. We'll put two completely irreplaceable members of the crew into a a shuttlecraft, pat them on the butt, and say, eh, just meet up with us later, guys. Go uh, hit off into all that danger, unknown danger, in a fragile spacecraft known for its propensity to fucking explode. And hopefully you won't get shot at or get whatever alien AIDS has killed these people. Good luck. Also that, yes, speaking of macroism, we're talking about dangerous stuff that can come back on the ship. But, you know, let's and again, I think that in the actual chronology of these um Nemesis hasn't happened yet, but that's Chakotay off on a shuttle by himself getting fucked up. This episode is going to be two people on a shuttlecraft getting fucked up. 
the one before that, which was boring day of honor was people in a shuttlecraft getting fucked up. Like I'm, I'm noticing a real strong season four trend here going back into the death cart shenanigans of uh, earlier Voyager. The episode kind of at this point branches into two, I would call it an A and a B plot because they're almost equal. The A plot, the, the, the first branch, the left branch, is the adventures on the murder ship with the murder hologram that obviously murdered everybody. The B plot, the, the right-leaning branch, the other direction, is a goofy rom-com. <laughs> Thanks, I hate it. <laughs> the left-handed branch that we take, uh, that's where all the potential is for the episode. Uh, that's where all the fun is. That's where all the meat is. Uh, it is a absolute fucking shame that they did not dedicate the entire episode to fleshing this out, doing more with it, not making it feel rushed. And Oh yeah. Not spoiling the ending, (laughs) the the prologue because there's really cool stuff there. The rom-com was yet another fucking example. Second in three weeks of the producers of star Trek Voyager desperately attempting to market sex to the audience. Um, boy, howdy, all of the Kim seven of nine shit was just so bad. Yeah. Let's just knock out the seven and nine plot hook here. Uh, so we don't have to, to bring it up later. Uh, I I agree, but I want to share one historical footnote with you. This is not going to be found on memory alpha because this is from my memory. Okay. Okay. About this plot. This, the teaser for this episode, went out of its way to make it sound like the whole focus of the episode was Kim and Seven of Nine fucking. And they made a point of in that 15 second promo of having the clip in there of Seven of Nine telling Harry Kim to take off his clothes. It reminded me of that episode where they make you think in the teaser. Yeah, resistance that like Janeway's going to start like turning tricks and sucking alien dick to help, uh, you know, Voyager survive or something like they make you think that this is going to be about seven of nine sexy time because they are desperate to sell this. And it just, it just makes no sense. Cause I know like how much better shit gets with seven of nine later on down the road. I just forgot how bad it was at first with them. Just went all the way to 11 with selling her as Borg Barbie. Yeah, so uh, they're going to make this astrometrics lab. Uh, Kim meets up with Seven and Nine in some utility closet. Uh, He starts trying to make some small talk with her. She shuts him down. Uh, He goes in to give her, you know, what what procedure he wants her to conduct. And she just blows right through it. And he's like, no way you're done that fast. And she tries to play the, you know. I'm Borg. We're perfect. Blah, blah, blah. And he double checks her works. And like, mm, look, you didn't cross any of these T's and you didn't dot that I. So it humbles her a little bit. She admits that, you know, maybe it's her human side starting to come back. Uh, and then what? I think uh, he starts getting. God, I don't even want to talk about this. Thing. It's so <laughs> so I'll, I'll first and foremost, when they meet up in the Borg alcove, we find out that seven of nine went to the Janeway school of not respecting people's personal space and gets her breathy Jerry Ryan twin peaks enhanced invades the, the, the personal space bubble of Harry Kim and they get real close and kind of breathy as they work in close quarters in Jeffrey's tubes and all this. And, you know, she's got the, the super dry sense of humor about everything. And, and Harry is clearly deeply in lust with her. And eventually they have this scene where they're like pulling out some like piece of Borg tech out of the alcove that they can use to finish find out the Borg aren't too big on OSHA. Yeah. Yeah. She tries to like grab a bunch of power cords and, and Harry's got to like physically grab her to stop her. And she's like, I don't know what the fucking big deal is. My 
this body can handle it because I've got all these Borg enhancements. And he's like, that's still fucking bad. We're still not going to do it. I don't want to call from the state. And yeah, so he enforces OSHA compliance, but then, you know, realizes he's still like holding on to her shoulders. And yeah, real handsy. Hansy Harry. That's his new. His Hansy new name Harry. And, and it's all done in this like 90s meat cute frame. And it's just the dumbest thing. And, you know, they again in this episode, we have multiple scenes where they shoot Jerry White, Ryan White on purpose to show off. Hey, we put her in this skin tight silver cat suit. Like same shit as what was with day of honor. Yeah. Ugh. Uh I want to go back to Harry and the type that he seems to be attracted to. And there also is a pretty good call out here at one point where he starts catching himself falling in love. He goes to Tom uh, Paris for advice. And Tom's like, uh, I think you're going down a real dangerous path here, buddy. And why is it you always pick goofy people to get in bed with? I seem to recall not too long ago, you falling in love for a catfish hologram from. uh, Not before he desperately white knights, which is the best part. Because they come in after she gets hurt. And, you know, Tom, Nurse Tom's the best, right? Because he's, like, giving no fucks. He's putting his drinking coffee on the job, puts his yeah. feet up on shit. And, like, well, you almost severed a nerve. Might have had to operate. Be careful out there. And then she leaves. And Harry's like, how dare you be so mean? She's a precious person. that has. This, she's great. She's beautiful. She's got a great sense of humor. She's like, there's a person in there. And it's like, oh, <laughs> oh, Harry. Well, let's talk about the person in there, because Tom's busting his chops on falling with the hologram. And it's because Tom's ignorant of the fact that Harry went after his one year old daughter in uh, (laughs) Kess's future adventures. And it got me to thinking. Annika Hansen got assimilated when she was, what, six. Right. Right. And she's arguably probably one of the first humans to ever get assimilated. Like. You get assimilated. Do you continue to develop as a person and learn like social skills and all this other stuff? Like clearly, no. Right. That's why Seven of Nine is so maladjusted or supposed to be so maladjusted and outsider is that she doesn't know how society works. She doesn't know how to be polite. She did not emotionally develop. And I think a very strong case could be made that for all intents and purposes, she is like emotionally uh, a six year old still. Right. Like she's been in this fantasy dream state of whatever the collective is. And I'm sure later episodes will explore what that is exactly. But I think this is another case of like Harry going after something underage. And this time it's like severely emotionally underage. Yeah. It, I I think that they're trying to portray her as, OK, she's got the sum of all this knowledge from all these people who have been assimilated. And so she isn't that she's like regressed. It's that her understanding of these things is entirely secondhand yet intimate as a consequence of assimilation. And so it's almost clinical. I think that's what they meant to do. So you think that children who are assimilated will continue to develop while under the influence of the collective? And you're not just like basically pulling someone out in the last state that they entered emotionally. My understanding is that it's not that it like totally arrests your development. Otherwise, she would just be a mewling child, right? She's something else. Clearly, her sense of self matured as part of the collective because it was part of her. And so that is stuck with her. So she isn't regressed so much as her understanding of these things that she is comprehending is only observational and not a lived experience personally i'm still gonna say harry's a creep who goes after the young ones <laughs> i you know we we have have officially have an episode where he essentially fucks a one-year-old and yeah, everyone yeah. thinks that's okay so this is considerably less creepy i mean yeah. you know this is an actual adult woman she's just emotionally stunted although this episode made it more clear like why you know no joke Seven of Nine is seen as like the patron saint of autistic Star Trek fans. Like that vibe is there of like her stunted, like emotional approach. Yeah. So I I get it. Harry falls in love. Harry calls her up at what I'm 
understanding to be like essentially midnight to join him on the mess hall where he has set mood lighting and there's data pads out and he's going to start basically creating a uncomfortable work relationship with a coworker. And uh, under the auspice of planning out this astrometrics bay, get her to agree to go out on a date. And she just takes a step back and is like, this doesn't add up. What's going on here? Oh, you have feelings for me. And then, like you said, they just rush right into that, like that hokey sex angle of like, you will now undress and we will copulate so they can get that it's sound clip. so stupid. Like the whole idea up to this point with her character is that she finds all of this emotional frivolity irrelevant. She even says it in that scene of like beauty is irrelevant. Comfort is irrelevant. And then someone wants to, to take you to bone town, take you to the bone zone, the Harry Kim sex capade palace. And suddenly you're like, okay, that's fine. Take your clothes off. Let's do it. Like it, it's done entirely just to shock the audience and create an awkward nineties romance vibe, not for any relevant character development reason. Like the, it's just stupid. It's stupid. It makes no sense with what she says in the fucking scene. As a result, Harry goes super beta starts tripping over himself as he tries to backpedal his way out of the, the situation and uh, eventually goes to Chakotay and says, hey, look, we, you know, we finished these initial assessments and hey, maybe we should get an engineering team in here to start these things. And I shouldn't be on the team anymore and tries to like backpedal when it's very clear he's like baiting Chakotay to grill on. OK, what happened? Um, and finally, Chakotay is like, yeah, look, uh, seven and nine already came in here and said what you did. And she said that, you know, you seem like a sweet, not sweet guy, but, you know, that you guys work well together and everything's cool. Uh, and, you know, I'm glad you could go from getting knocked the fuck out to trying to put hands on her in the other way. Uh, but I want to keep you guys together to work because you're such a great team. And and there's that whole crappy blossoming shit character arc to supplement the already shitty Tom Paris Blana character romance arc well i have good news a they don't go anywhere with this b yay yeah i know right like i had to tell stevie that too i'm like she's like oh i fucking hate this i can't believe they're doing this like they don't actually do this she's like oh thank fucking jesus uh and and two like that's just so done entirely for the shock value of having the hot blonde chick tell someone sexually forward yeah, yeah, that's all that's done to do. And that's what this entire half of the episode is. And it's a fucking waste because the other half of the episode. Well, hold on. Before got... we jump off that scene where she tells him to take his clothes off, like that's one of the two scenes that they used apparently for casting the role of seven and nine. And even Jerry Ryan's like, uh, yeah, this was a terrible scene. And I think that if that had been the only thing they had me read for the role, there's no way I would have even auditioned for it. That's shows you exactly where the executive producers mindset were the studio people or whatever, who was ever behind this. Like that's, that's crazy. Where'd you read that? That's nuts. That's uh, right there in the memory. Alfie. Okay. That's fucking, Oh my God. That is really awful that that's what they had her do that. Ugh. God damn. Like I get like the sixties, like short skirt shit. It's just a, it was just the time period, whatever. Uh, but, you know, like that kind of thing. How do we whatever. go from Kess to that? Come on. It's I just, mean, this really. is, it's Star Trek just never has had this mode where it's like trying to throw sex at you. Like, and it feels so stupid because it's being so obviously thrown at us right now. And it's just like, but why? This is well, what this is for. Let's flip gears, man. Let's get into the good part of this. And that is back over on hologram murder ship. There is a lot of really cool stuff going on here. And I really dig the set that they use on this. The ship design we talked about earlier, the whole vibe, the whole feel over there. Um, I'd said before, I thought that the ship felt like it's kind of like something out of aliens. Um, and I think it's for good reason. This hologram who I forget what name they give them. But uh, this neurotic 
dude, I, I can recognize him from a couple different things. He was in Saving Private Ryan, but I think most notably from what I remember him in was actually Alien Resurrection. Do you remember him in that? Oh, absolutely. That was, uh, I think, Joss Whedon's first big like uh, script that he read for Hollywood. It's a very underappreciated movie. So in uh, Alien Resurrection, this guy, uh, Leland, he plays a colonist who gets abducted mid-transport by the mercenary guys and brought over to this black ops military research thing where he gets a chestburster put in him and he gets woken up out of cryosleep and ends up joining up with Ripley and like the good guys as they try to escape the ship. And it all culminates in the end with him like completely wigging out as he goes through the process of being chest burst. And this guy's got a really distinct voice and he is really good at flipping the fuck out. And eventually he gets to tap into all of that. And I think it is really good. Also, he was in Alien Resurrection with who? Brad Dorff. Oh, yeah. With, with Lon Suter. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that in the shower, actually. <laughs> and, and, and in this episode, it's almost like a callback. He doesn't wield a pipe. He wields a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it was. Whew. Yeah. Uh, again, the 90s are a magical time of cross-pollinization out there. Uh, so they get out. It's uh, the doctor and it's Bellana, And the doctor, who has still been freshly traumatized by having his daughter die a senseless death at the hands of Bolana's cruel programming fingers. Yes. Uh, he's taking, you were then forced to watch. Yes. He starts, uh, he starts getting a little revenge and poking fun at the fact that she's getting into a relationship with Tom and she's all like, I don't care for your speculation. And it's like, who are you trying to kid? You guys are out there making out in the hallway in front of the mess hall while the entire crew is there for two box promotion. Cats out of the bag, Bolana. Yeah, don't be making out with your coworkers in front of everyone if you don't want your coworkers talking about how you're making out and with, with your coworker. Like that's just a rule. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an unreasonable one. So they get over to the ship. Uh, the doctor's super jazzed for a chance to meet another hologram. Which I don't know how I feel about this. Like he has plenty of interactions with other holograms. He doesn't seem to really like them, and I don't think they've liked him in the past. So him getting like super stoked about meeting another uh, holographic person to the point where like he's chomping at the bit to get on the shuttle and get it there and meet it is, I don't know, kind of unprecedented. The vibe on the ship is that it's kind of like this small exploratory scout ship. And I think they said six people on it. And his job, this this hologram's job, was apparently to just empty antimatter waste. It was a little unclear that if, if he had other duties or not. Because no. at first, I, at first I got the vibe that he was like the ship janitor, and that was just part of it. But they later seemed to clarify, now nah, he's like stuck in a room where he just cleans antimatter waste. I thought that was fucking awesome. And that was very thought provocative. Uh, you know, it's it's robot work. And to use a hologram for that seems ingenious to me. And it really opens up more possibilities on things that you could and realistically should do in Starfleet. If you've got this advanced holographic technology, something we never really, did, you know, talk about, just like this extreme hazard uh, duty from, you know, going into dangerous uh, radioactive or biohazardous areas um, to other just, you know, okay, there's fire going on, right? Sending the holographic firemen. It makes perfect sense that you would do this. Like, you're absolutely right. Like, if you have the holographic technology, why not? And this touches on some of the stuff that we've talked about on the show in past episodes of like, why not have a bunch of security detail guys? Why not have like this on call, like group of dudes you can just materialize into anywhere by having a bunch of hollow emitters in your ship and so on and so on. And the horrifying part of it though is, and this is kind of the only thing I question about the logic of the episode is what about, the the fact this guy was essentially stuck in a room and has to clean waste all day meant he had to be like capable Sentient. of sentience. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen on the holodeck 
with holographic characters there and explanations of hollow technology that it's not necessary for holograms to actually be sentient, that they can be programmed relatively simply to do a certain things and react within certain param- uh, parameters that, that won't really give them sentience. This I guy like- is programmed to feel the abuse that he's feeling, which seems like a bit of an oversight. I'd like to think that this crew and whatever this alien species is, Jajarn, I think is the hologram's name. I'd like to think that they really were just a bunch of sadists and needlessly dicks that would take pleasure in creating a man who did nothing but handle radioactive waste. Uh, The question then becomes, if you're going to make this person who was designed only to suffer, why do you put hollow emitters in the rest of the ship where this guy is never going to go and could, you know, maybe there's just not a really good science fiction uh, scene on wherever this planet's from. And like AI revolts has just never really come up in conversation before. Regardless, the situation on the vessel is that the Dejarin hologram tells, uh, well, at first, it looks like he's going to try and sneak up on him with a lawn suitor inspired hammer move. He's going <laughs> to drop the hammer. He's going to bring hammer time, whatever you want to say, uh, but realizes that the doctor is a hologram. So he bails out of the attack and and winds up just materializing in front of them and says, hey, uh, all of the crew died of a horrible disease. That's it. They died of disease. And I totally need your guys's help. Uh, but totally don't go downstairs to the other deck, which is absolutely not a Blumhouse film murder hole. Uh, that's It's actually super dangerous to you, uh, fleshy person. So don't ever go down there ever. Again, had we not a seen the Netflix spoiler capsule, but be more importantly, seen that entire pre-credit scene, that's a super legit lie. That's oh, a yeah. great premise. And if he had been a little less twitchy and a little more like smile and nice and presentable, I think you could have uh, bullshitted the audience pretty well into thinking, hey, maybe this guy isn't just a hammer wielding hammer murderer. But instead, we kind of already know what's being laid out here. Despite that, though, uh, man, I really I really like the Jaren character and his unique AI space madness perspective of the idea that the sentient hologram just got beat up and abused enough that, you know, he turned on his creators and still has kind of all these ticks and things that he feels compelled to do because of his programming yet is straining against those constraints. And it's kind of driven him nuts. And like you mentioned, when you were talking about like the other stuff, this actor's done, he's got a great voice for being crazy Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes completely at it when he gets to the opportunity. Um, the best, I think, is when he uh, he brings lunch to Bolana as he's trying to repair things. And uh, first they they notice that check the Chekhov's gun is on the floor. And then, you know, we get told about Chekhov's gun that's on the floor. And that totally won't get, you know, used in the next scene or whatever. He brings her lunch and then starts ranting about how much he doesn't like organics and then how how holographic life is superior because you know they're energy beings and don't need food and it's he does it in this this poetic anger way that is just very compelling they have his entire speech listed on memory alpha and i'm not going to read it since you already dragged us through the uh starfleet operations (laughs) nerd guide to rank or whatever i did it but yeah It starts off and and I'm like, okay, this is kind of hokey. I'm not feeling this, but man, does he ramp it up and he gets into this moment to such a degree that I would say that this is probably the best, probably the best neurotic flip out anger explosion monologue I think I have ever seen in any Star Trek anywhere. Really? Okay, that's high praise. What about it? Did you like? It's just that, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about AI, uh, rogue AI, and, uh, you know, the space madness angle. And I think he taps into all of that very well. It's a very convincing 
speech, his body language as he delivers it is excellent. And the whole time, you know, lending credit to it, the whole time he's doing it, you've got Roxanne Dawson on the other end with her immobile eyebrows still very clearly conveying a sense of like, and again, let's, let's talk about Bolana. This is now AI psychotic episode number what we got dreadnought. We got space uh, kink robots. We had uh, the doctor and dark, dark one or whatever dark other. Right. I mean, this is at least the fourth time, if not more, that she has had front row tickets to AI going crazy and being about to murder her. So like she has to be so fucking it's traumatized true. to this and, and and for her to even agree to go out on this mission, like, Hey, Bolana, we found out that there is a robot. Uh, there's a, there's a, some sort of hologram or a robot on a ship full of dead people. We want you to go check it out. Uh, You're I, just I don't so know. good at dealing with this stuff, Bolana. I, I don't know, Doc. I don't know, Cap. Every, every time I get mixed up with these guys, I'm getting electrocuted and clubbed over the head and, and whatever. Okay, you're Enslaved right. Enslaved to create, you know, perfect clones. Of you know, you're to... right. We're going to send you some backup. We're going to send you out with a doctor. What You mean that guy who tortured me with the hypo spray like three weeks ago? Yeah, it'll be fine. You mean the what? guy who I tortured by having his holographic family die in front of him? Yeah, like yeah, that's great. Shame on her for going anywhere near this mission. But while she's in there being very clearly told that, hey, I'm the guy who killed these people and I'm going to kill you, too, because you're dirty and your dead skin gets everywhere. She's got like this real look of like, OK, we need to get the fuck out of here real quick. And I'm just going to kind of pat him on his head and say, hey, thanks for the snacks. I need to go upstairs and get away from you now. and. uh I mean, I think at that point she should have just hit her com badge and like emergency beamed her ass out of there. But I think they say later on that the ship, the, the the communications thing to the ship's being scrambled by him. But no, I really like that flip out. And I think if nothing else, this entire episode is worth watching just to see this guy go psycho. So the big payoff is that eventually Bolana tells the doctor, I think this hologram ha- might be you know, a total murder bot murderer that murders. And I know something or two about murder bot murder. I know a lot about murder bots. I've helped one uh, build additional murder bots under duress. (laughs) And as a consequence, I'm going to go downstairs because I used my tricorder finally and realized he was lying about it being filled with radiation. How ballsy of her in this scene to just be openly narking this guy out to the doctor like yeah this guy's a motherfucker he's crazy he's talking about how dirty and you know we flesh bags are let's just call this guy hk 47 for the rest of the episode and uh (laughs) you know we got to get in here and shut him off i got to find his off switch i'm like that's awfully presumptuous of you to assume that the holographic caretaker of this ship needs to be physically in the room to hear anything you're saying that there's oh they must assume it's like you know voyager like they wouldn't possibly have security cameras that are actually recording or broadcasting anything going on in there but sarcasm oh master how dare you think that i your humble servant would ever mean you harm (laughs) but uh you know the yeah he he doesn't and she decides to go sneaking off and uh what the hell is his name? DeJaron. HK-47. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. HK-47 decides that he's going to hang out with uh, the doctor and do a little bit of hero worship. So while the doctor kind of dis- distracts DeJaron, I guess you would say, as DeJaron brings him his holographic fish that he made because he wasn't allowed to have real friends. Which how cool is it that in one episode they fit in two references to holographic catfish? priceless meanwhile balana goes down into the murder hole equipped with a uh, a tricorder and your favorite piece of starfleet technology the risk mounted flashlight hmm. and sure enough while trying to reprogram uh, hk47 uh finds the convenient murder w- windows where all of the bodies have been have been dropped and then eventually sets off an alarm that makes hk47 realize he's about to get got and then 
and then drop down to try and stop Bolana from doing it. And his attempt to stop her involves the Kalima. Oh, when he reaches his hand in there. Yeah. This whole scene looks cool. Again, I like the set. And if I'm reading this correctly, this is the little room where he is supposed to live. And I'm guessing the windows that you see out is where all the radiation crap is that he handles. So I thought it was pretty cool that the crew who tormented him that should have never been in this area, he's dragged all their corpses and thrown them in like the nuclear waste room where they're like, faces are pressed up against the glass and this horror movie move uh was pretty cool yeah the staging of it was neat it's just one of those things that just didn't feel like it mattered all because of what they gave away you know but yeah so he gets in there and she's like uh i'm just uh down here and he's like nope i know what you're doing jigs up i'm gonna get you now and yeah, that as what you're calling the Kalima, he just fucking reaches his hand in there. And I think he like grabs her heart and starts squeezing it. And it's like, this is why you need holographic security dudes everywhere. Screw phasers, screw transporting out into space. You could just have guys go around grabbing people by the brain and and shutting those K's on and the Skevians and phage dudes and everybody else down lickety split. Eventually... Bolana does like reach over far enough to turn off HK 47 before her heart gets totally ripped out. Doctor shows up to revive her. She's hurt. Like she had like a, you know, her heart was partially damaged, but you know, he's worked his, his uh, necromancy and she's okay. I was criticizing earlier. Like it's stupid to send the EM, the only doctor you have on a ship for this, but boy, isn't Bolana lucky that the only doctor on the ship just so happens to be there to repair her crushed heart. Does she have two hearts? Yeah, she's a Klingon. So she's got back. Yeah, but she's only half Klingon though. I, I know she's got sure. two stomachs. I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure that they've established that she has the redundancy of the, the Klingon part of her heritage. I mean, she basically got the best of both worlds. She got all the Klingon strength and all the human teeth. Or, organ, yeah, all the organ redundancy, but she got perfect human teeth and great human skin. Mm-hmm. Like, um, she did it. <laughs> uh, so they make it seem as though she's turned him off. And I thought this fake out was good. And again, I, I think there, there could have been, there's potential for this to be much better than it was, as you've pointed out. Um, as they start trying to figure out how they're going to get off the ship since the signal's being jammed to uh, let them transport back over. The doctor's like, hey, I thought you turned off the hollow projectors. And she's like, yeah. And you see the doctor looking at the holographic catfish that was being shown off earlier, which, of course, informs you that, no, uh, the, the Jaren is still out there. And right now he's just faking them out. So... He comes back with a vengeance and once again channels his inner Brad Dordiff inspired suitor and brains Bolana right in the head with a fucking hammer. Doesn't Dude, she's gotten her, her ass kicked so many times. It's this. a bad fucking day for her. It's been a bad four days for her. Like she was near death three days ago from ox- oxygen deprivation. We're going to have you to know? go through that. I mean, that's the least of it. I mean, she. If you start looking at people that just full on get their ass kicked and get in fights, it's going to be Tuvok and it's going to be Bolana. And I think at this point, Bolana's starting to pull ahead in the race and the number of times that she's been shot, punched, electrocuted, um, and hit in the head with various instruments. And I don't know why that is, if it's just this latent expectation in Star Trek that the Klingons need to get beat up, but. Whoever her stunt double is, has uh, has got some real job security. <laughs> I will say that it like makes sense that when now that she's been patched up to from two near death experiences in a row in one week that she's like, all right, well, Tom, we better bang it out here because <laughs> we might not have a lot of time. We never know when something's going to fucking happen. You know, now or never, man, let's go do this. My let's favorite part during this AI uh attack the hologram the hologram coming after her is she escapes to some closet where she spends all this time shutting and locking a door and i'm just like what are you doing you're fighting a ghost you know the ghost isn't gonna care about 
a, a door. I think at some point uh, the Jaren gets into it with the EMH and like he starts trying to hit the doctor with the hammer and he's like, you know, you're the one who gave me the idea that I should stand up for myself and follow my own things. And the doctor's like, no, dude, you're crazy. And then he tries to swing on him and it's like he blurs and then the doctor takes his medical case and throws it at him and he's like, okay, well, we're going to be doing this for a while. And then uh, Dejarn, yeah, just totally blasts him right in his hollow emitter, which is like, you know, pretty big uh, party foul coming and abusing that, what, 27th century technology? <laughs> yeah, with a hammer. <laughs> like, way yeah. to go, guys. You did if it. If only uh, Ed Bagley Jr. could see you now. His, his precious hyper tech and you're over there pissing it away, fighting with janitor holograms. Anything else you want to talk about in this episode? I would like to postulate that it would have been very interesting if this had been one of those setups like the shoot where you just have a real shitty government and puts its population needlessly at risk and that all the people on this ship were part of uh, some sort of malicious science project to see what happens when you put a bunch of cruel assholes on an isolated spaceship with uh, AI that you know is buggy and prone to revolting and murdering people and that they just happened upon this the same way they happened upon the social experiment of the shoot. You know, it's no surprise to me that you and I can once again point to a number of ways, simple ways that an idea developed on an episode of Star Trek Voyager could have easily been in, uh, improved, but this might be the most glaring example. I cannot emphasize enough how good the the bits of this episode that are good in exploring the sort of depth of AI crazy town that it goes, which we're fucking huge fans of. We just yeah. are. But instead of an episode that focuses on that, develops that slowly over the course of an hour, uses your established characters available to you to, to expand those characters in some meaningful way. Instead, they blow the surprise at the beginning. They cram it into less than half the episode because they want to spend the other half of the episode with as much TNA time as possible and shoehorn in seven of nine telling Harry Kim to take off his fucking clothes. I would have rather seen instead of her being sexy dominatrix, like because you jump back to, <clears throat> the bonehead episode right where uh what was that that was day of honor yeah. where she's just needlessly antagonistic and then starts growing no she's not needlessly antagonistic she's just i don't know they start trying to work this like you have to grow a heart angle and and right and we criticized it because she didn't actually antagonize them directly she just had the audacity to walk by yeah um yeah so like this episode you've got an AI, uh, a, a cold, methodical computer, which despises the humanity. And that's essentially what she is, is another cold computer who despises AI. And I thought it would have been good to have her over on the ship to help repair things and this thing to confront her and her to have to see, I don't want to be this computer, this passionless thing. And uh, you know, as it's sitting here and hating on humanity and and organics, like maybe I do want to be this and and that to serve as a foil of her to be like, I need to distance myself. I need to grow away from this. I need to mature. Uh, instead, they got her over there. I, I don't even know. You know, they're basically just exploiting her in this. Like you said, the, the Harry Kim <laughs> romantic comedy. What are we watching next week, Peter? Uh, hopefully something a little bit. And it's it's sad for me to have to say that this wasn't a good one because I think there really was a lot of strong, great stuff in there. Um, season four, episode six, The Raven. And we've got uh, Paris, Chakotay, and Janeway. And they are talking to two guys who kind of look like early next generation Cardassians with these, I don't know, chicken wire football helmets on. Janeway is trying to gain passage through a region of space owned by a cautious and xenophobic race of aliens. Gee, this sounds real familiar um, because we already did this in the swarm. And the last time Janeway came across a xenophobic race of aliens, 
She called them a bunch of bullies, said fuck the Prime Directive, and just shot through space uh, invasively at Max Warp. Am I am I wrong? You're not wrong. Yeah, it's uh, this is the first Brian Fuller episode. It it starts to to develop Seven of Nine in a more uh, uh, less TNA, more actually a character way. So I don't mind it. Well, I'll uh, look forward to it and we'll see what becomes of it. <laughs> you said that I look forward to it the same way someone says that, like, I look forward to my next dental appointment. Well, I love getting my teeth cleaned. Wish we could have gotten more laughs out of this one, but it's just, uh, it feels like filler, you know? It, it does. Feels, it feels like filler, and I think that this is the kind of stuff that just is what has poisoned Voyager to the Star Trek community. It felt like the Star Trek equivalent of that episode of DBZ where Goku just spends the entire 25 minutes powering up. Yeah, well, there's like 60 of those, so let's hope... Uh... I don't know, let's hope that, that that's not going to be the same thing here. All right, man. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Vigor, please. April Voyage of the Delta Quadrant. See you next week.